the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. Thank you for joining us, as always. It's a Sunday evening, and we're talking about COVID-19. We have a returning guest, our, our very own Dr. Ann Carroll. Dr. Carroll, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me, Nick. I, I tell you, these are troubling times with COVID because uh, now we're recording more COVID cases than ever. Um, I, I think we've always been very genteel in our discussions about the threat and how to address the threat. But sort of like the story about the, the little boy who called wolf too often, people stopped listening. Um, but, you know, when there's really a wolf out there, we need to listen. We need to take action. What, what are you seeing out there now with regard to COVID and well, spreading? Without a, without a doubt, we are seeing increased numbers of COVID. Um, we haven't done a very good job diagnosing, and that's what the PCR test does. It diagnoses COVID. Our problem is um, some, it seems that by the time we diagnose it, we have transmitted quite a bit of the disease. Uh, that we have the asymptomatic carriers um, who may be super spreaders and and they're not sick. So that's the biggest problem. Masks help. They're not 100%. Social distancing, all the things we have been doing help to, we were hoping would decrease the spread. We know that lockdowns didn't help much and, and, and on different levels, people with depression and increasing suicide and all the other things that go wrong with social isolation. That's what we're seeing. And if you have an asymptomatic carrier in the family and they're in lockdown, they're going to infect everybody in the family. So I'm not sure that that's an answer. So what is the answer? Well, we're re- we, meaning all of the virologists and the microbiologists and the infectious disease people, are rethinking how we're going to approach this problem. And it's really a public health issue. So what do the public health people do? They want to find out. They want to stop transmission of the disease. So now they're coming out. The FDA this past week just approved a point of care at home testing for the, it's an antigen test for the COVID. And you'll get the results in 30 minutes. And that's going to be the game changer. Now, on some of the other countries, they're already doing this. And people are doing it at home. If it's positive or if it's negative, it's like reading it like a pregnancy test, essentially. You know, the one line tells you it's, it's correct, and the other line tells you whether it's positive or negative. That's what we need to do, and we need to test, test, test. And the public health department people say that if we test, and we test like that every single day, even though the viral load may be low and not infectious, we're picking up people before they're infectious and before they can transmit the disease. Some of these kits that are coming out are going to be a buck a piece. So you're talking about testing someone every day for a month. It's going to cost you $30. It's cheaper the cost to do something like that. And they believe that if we test like this, we're going to get this virus under control very quickly. And, of course, the vaccine will be cheap. 
to keep it away. So well, that's those, those, that's good. Well, very good. I was just looking at some statistics from Cuyahoga County and uh, looking at the total number of tests that were given back at the last week in October, a little over 25,000, almost 30,000 tests. And the positivity rate at that time was 9.3%. Roughly one out of every 10 people who were tested, tested positive. Now looking at it for the week of November 8th through 14th, they increased the number of tests by um, about half. They went up to uh, by the third to 37,000 tests, but the positivity rate jumped up to 20.5%. That's one out of every five people who tested were positive for COVID. Have you been okay. seeing this in so, your clinical practice, more cases? So let's talk about that kind of testing. When we first started testing for COVID, uh, the CDC had tiers and who could get tested, who couldn't get tested. So you had a defined population. Now in the state of Ohio, everybody can get tested, whether you're symptomatic or not, you can get tested. When you throw everybody into that stew, so to speak, um, you're gonna have a lot of false positives. And so the recommendation is if you have a false positive in an individual who's asymptomatic, the recommendation is to retest them in 36 to 48 hours. If it's positive then, we say it's a true positive. If it's negative, it's a negative. So I'm quite sure they're probably not testing these individuals who are asymptomatic and positive to see if it's a true positive or not. I don't have that answer, but I, I, I would imagine that's not being done in most places. From a so I don't know how standpoint. accurate that number is. I don't know how accurate right. that number is for true positive. Well, it's still disturbing. But, but I am but I am seeing more people with COVID. And the problem is I'm seeing people with COVID and despite all, you know, everybody says, if you're sick, stay home. Obviously, if you're sick and you need to be seen, come to the emergency room. But people aren't doing that. They're just going out and then they get really, really sick and show up in the emergency room. At that point, for the last two weeks, they've been walking around sick and spreading it around. We're, you know, we're not being good stewards of our community. It's, it's really uh, very heartbreaking to see this because we're never going to get this under control. I mean, the only way to really get it is test, 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 test everybody with this rapid test every single day. And the ones that, you know, how do you enforce someone to stay in and quarantine for 14 days? You know, if they're testing positive, right, that's right. the hard part. In, in prior um, weeks, we, we've always spoken about COVID and the new cases in rather a relaxed tone. And clearly now, we're not speaking in relaxed tones. These are serious things. You're seeing it happen. What What do you see about hospitalizations increasing as rapidly well, as we have the positive tests? Yeah, well, hospitalizations are increasing, at least in this area, uh, with uh, COVID-positive patients. The question is that I have, and I don't have this answer either, is are they coming into the emergency room because they are sick for other reasons? Cardiac, stroke, who knows, you know, poorly controlled diabetes, whatever. We test everyone that comes into the hospital now. So they may come in and they may not have any COVID-related illness, but they're testing positive. So they come in and they're in isolation and we have to do all that. So I don't know if everyone coming in is coming in because of COVID or happens to be COVID positive. I don't have that answer. Can we see when people come in and they have symptoms and they have a positive COVID test? 
do we know whether or not those symptoms are caused by the COVID or the asymptomatic for COVID and showing influenza signs, for example? Anyone well, you know, that? well, we now because we're going into the season of influenza, we, we have a test where we test all three, COVID, influenza A and B. So they're done. You know, with COVID, everyone's talking about fever and cough. Only about 25% of people um, with COVID have the fever and cough. That comes later. A lot of them have other things like a loss of sense of taste and smell or some GI symptoms, things or severe fatigue that they can kind of brush off. Um, but those, they, they have COVID. So when we're scanning everybody coming into work or whatever for their temperature, you have to understand that three out of four may not have a fever. And, uh, and so that's kind of concerning. Well, it still seems disturbing. Sure. I'm, I'm assuming we're going to have more than 37,000 tests the week after the 14th of November. And if that yeah. positivity rate goes up, we're, we're talking still a range of one out of five. And maybe in the future, here we'll be seeing one out of four people testing. Are, are people required to only test or allowed to have tests if they have symptoms or? Are these a lot of asymptomatic no, tests going on? No. Well, in Ohio, you can. You, in the past, you had to meet all this criteria. Now, in the state of Ohio, you can. Anybody can get can get tested any time, even if they're asymptomatic. So that's the problem. That's why we need to try and change the way we're doing testing and just test everybody every day with this new rapid, uh, you know, point of care, because then. Then people say, well, you're not going to pick up all the positives. Yes, but if it's negative, they're not infectious. And maybe the next day you test them and it's positive, they stay home. With a PCR, you can test them and people have a, a, um, uh, a significant exposure to someone with COVID. They come in and they're tested and they're negative. They think, oh, I forgot. You know, I said, no, you're not out of the woods. You have to quarantine for 14 days because that's the biology of this virus. They can show up anywhere between two and 14 days after you've been exposed. And so maybe I say to them, see where you are in five days. You may start developing symptoms. Then you have to come back and we have to see you and test you or you just quarantine, assume you have COVID and quarantine yourself mm -hmm. for 14 days. So this is a big problem. Um, uh, you know, when we open travel again, um, people are, you know, countries are requiring that you have the COVID test. Um, particularly Hawaii, my favorite place to visit. And any visitor, yeah, any visitor to Hawaii, mm -hmm. they require that you have a COVID test within 72 hours before arrival. That's great. And if it's negative, but that doesn't mean that the very next day you're not exposed to someone with COVID and you get there and you're asymptomatic until 48 hours after you're there and now you're, you're, you're infectious. So this is a big problem because tourism is, a, is a, the economy for Hawaii. So they're looking into doing this very thing that I talked about, this rapid everyday testing. And they this want rapid to, test and they, to make them available. Yeah, so, right. So everybody well, let's, let's take a short break. Let, let's take a short uh -huh. break and come back to this. We're talking to Dr. Ann Carroll, a medical doctor here in the Cleveland area, giving us the, what's the status of COVID here in Northeast Ohio. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK. Yeah, that's it. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, Cleveland. Next up, with you with another segment of the episode. We're talking to Dr. Ann Carroll about what's going on with COVID and the tremendous jump in reported cases that we have here in Northeast Ohio, actually throughout the state of Ohio, actually throughout the country. Dr. Carroll, as always, thank you so much for sharing with us tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. You know, we were, we were talking about Hawaii and how uh, the game changer test could be the uh, the very cheap, the $1 per test, the personal test that you could take for 30 bucks, you can have a month's supply of these tests, uh, and how that would be a game changer, that if you suspect you may have been in contact with someone or it may have been uh, a week or two since you uh, had any symptoms or you're starting symptoms, this can tell you to stay home. Uh, do you have any idea from what you've been reading how close we are to having these readily available that we can Click on well, a the website F- and have them delivered. Yeah, FDA. Well, you need at this point you need a doctor's prescription, a script. But the FDA just approved uh, at point of care at home testing last week. That well, this past week, it's kind of expensive. It's fifty dollars a test, but it's like anything else, the prices are going to come down. And there are other companies, several different companies, and in Europe, I think they're already using it, where the test will eventually come down to like a, a bucket test. And everybody should be doing this every single day until we can get this under control. Because what we need to focus on is decreasing or eliminating transmission, not just diagnosing disease. The PCR is diagnosing the disease. We want to get it before we have the disease or we want to quarantine the people who have it so we can, um, you know, minimize the spread of the disease. As I was talking before, mm-hmm. Hawaii is trying to put together, they're trying to use this, what's called an Assure 19, and they're trying to get that approved by the FDA so that individuals, even they have to show that they have a PCR negative test within 72 hours. It doesn't mean that this individual hasn't been exposed uh, the day later uh, and uh, has a significant exposure and is asymptomatic carrier at this point. Gets to Hawaii and Two days, three days later, when the most infectious is spreading this disease around and then get sick in Hawaii. So what what they want to do in Hawaii, as soon as you get off the plane, you're landing, everyone gets a test, this quick test. If it's negative and they give you five more tests and every single day you test, you're getting tested there and they have an app that you have to send it in. And you can go about your business there. You can enjoy your vacation and you can do whatever and you and they're not worried that you're going to transmit this virus to other people. I think it's very smart. Well, it sounds very smart as long as we have a population that's uh, compliant. And uh, you know, we, we talked uh, over the other times that we've, we've talked on this show about uh, there are certain portions of the population that are reluctant to uh, be compliant with the CDC uh, recommendations on what they should be doing as far as controlling their behavior to help control the pandemic. What are you seeing? You see patients every day who have COVID, think they have COVID. Uh, Do you see a lot of this reluctance still out there, this disbelief that this is real? Well, I think a lot of people are just tired. They're fatigued. You know, this has been going on for months and they want to get over it. I can understand that, but I, I tell them, people come in and I diagnose them with COVID, and they say, well, how could this happen? I say, well, let's talk about what you've been up to. Well, I don't think the mask helps, and I don't think this, and I don't think that. And I said, well, that's probably why you picked it up, because somebody else who has is thinking the same thing, and you've been exposed to them. 
And I said, do you remember uh, 20, 30 years ago when we were in the uh, anti-tobacco uh, campaign and on all the cigarette packs it said this, this product will cause cancer, can cause cancer? I said, and then people continue to smoke and they develop lung cancer and they sit there and you, they look at you and say, well, how did this happen? <laughs> because you did what they, you know, were telling you. This you were happen. warned. You, you were warned. Yeah. yeah. And people don't want to listen. They some don't want to listen or don't care to listen. They don't want to. I don't think they want to protect their community. It's. I think we've become a very selfish society, Nick. And um, uh, people want to do what they want to do, regardless of of the cost or the or the danger to mm -hmm. somebody else. Well, we're going to see this all play out in the next month or two months because, as you and I talked before. Uh, the idea of the pandemic, we're talking about a virus that is uh, involved in community spread right now. There's a timetable that it follows mathematically. And uh, it goes from the number of infections that are in a community that increase. We can look a couple of weeks down the road and see hospitalizations increase. And then That's a couple right. of weeks after that, we can see ICU usage increase. After that, That's we can right. see mortality rates increase. So we're going to be mm -hmm. seeing this happening. It, it, it's all happening. And as far as, uh, you know, if there's anything we can do about it, just have everyone suddenly be compliant with masking, distancing, and washing their hands. What effect might that have on this, this climbing chart we're involved in? Well, I think it, it, we know that that does help. Uh, you know, not all masks, obviously not all masks are equal, and there's studies out there that say masks don't work or they're not helping or they don't prevent. Well, I'm not sure how the studies were done. Were, were they all N95 masks? I don't think so. We know that N95 is the best, but not everybody can have an N95, and I have to tell you, from one who has to wear it all the time, they're very uncomfortable, but you wear it because you know it's going to, you know, we're hoping that it's going to work and prevent you from getting the disease. Um, the thing that I think people are, are tired of is that their restrictions are being placed that don't make any sense at all. Um, you know, you know, sh sh closing things down at certain hours and then opening them again, it's like, well, is that when the COVID is at its worst? I mean, it doesn't, we talk about them, other professionals and I talk about it, I said, why are they doing that? That doesn't make any sense at all. So people will do whatever they want, for instance. And I guess in Starting yesterday in Ohio, uh, 10 o'clock to 5 o'clock is, is the restricted hours. Only essential people can be out. Well, so what's going to happen on a weekend? They say, oh, we have to be home by 10. Fine. Well, we'll party all day long as if that keeps them safe. It doesn't. People have to change their behavior until we get a handle on this. And, and to take them to believe in, as to what's actually going on here. You know, talking yes. about uh, hospitals, because, you know, in, in the storm we have going out here in, in our community, the lifeboat is the hospitals. Uh, if we really are falling apart, we, we get ourselves to the hospital somehow, some way. And as we get there, we expect the hospitals to be fully staffed and protected with PPE, personal protection equipment. And it's supposed to be a safe harbor for people. How safe are our hospitals now, and what can we expect over the next four to six weeks based upon the numbers we see? It, if it continues, it, it's, we won't be able to. Our, it will out exceed our capacity. I mean, you know, the staff, the physicians, the nurses, the 
AIDS, everybody who works in a hospital are, gets sick also. And so the greater your exposure, the greater your chances of picking it up. It's just the way it is. Statistically, the more you, you're around it, the greater your chances. So, again, I think this is a true – the last time I saw anything like this was years ago when we first started having the AIDS epidemic, and we really didn't understand how it was transmitted in those days. We didn't realize it was in the blood. We didn't, we didn't know. I mean, I can remember those days very clearly. And it became a public health issue. And once we realized, public health realized how it was spread, they made a community effort to, you know, to educate the population, to, to try and to prevent the spread of this disease. And actually, they did a pretty, pretty good job of doing that. I mean, I think now we, we need the public health department. Uh, our country isn't set up for public health. Uh, you know, we're more disease detection rather than disease prevention. I think the, the public health department has to mobilize and really start going to these communities and making don't make it don't make it an adversarial relationship. It's, we're here to help you. We don't want you to get sick. This is what you need to do. Um, I think people are looking at it as more of a punishment now. And well, I, you I know, think, yeah, the politic being political uh, has been the problem. <laughs> politicalization of it. <clears throat> but uh, in, the, in the last minute we have. Can you offer us any encouraging words about the next couple of weeks? I think that everybody has to buckle down. It's a bad storm, and we have to do what we have to do, and we have to be really, really good role models for all the other people. You know, gently say, please put on your mask. Please do this. Please do that. Don't, you know, it doesn't require an angry response or, or interaction with somebody. That's, we're all in the same boat. Help each other. And that's what we have to do until we can get up and going, daily testing, and get our vaccine. And then I think we've got a handle on things. But well, until right. then, we're in big trouble. We are in trouble right now, but uh, there's a hopeful tomorrow with the vaccine. Dr. Ann Carroll, as always, thank you for being with us tonight. And we'll have you on again to bring us uh, up to date again in the future. And hopefully we have more good news rather than the dire news we have now. So Dr. Carroll, thank yep. you. Take care. Be safe. Thank you so very much. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. Welcome back to Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. In the next uh, two segments, we're going to be talking about something that most of us are involved in and probably not spending enough time thinking about, and that is computer security. We all spend time on computers, whether it's out of our smartphone or whether it's out of our laptop or iPad or whatever. But uh, we're going to talk about the vulnerability and risk with that. We're going to talk to uh, the owner, Trent Villarn, from Cloud9, one of our wonderful sponsors of The Advocate. Trent, thank you for joining us. Oh, well, thank you. And uh, computers, Cloud9 IT, uh, you're, you're one of our sponsors, which we appreciate dearly. But tell us a little bit about what Cloud9 does and lead into security issues and why security is so important. Well, sure. I mean, it's actually, um, I would say security is probably in the last uh, you know, four or five years has really come to the forefront of IT in general as being probably the number one 
you know, factor in which, uh, you know, clients are, I guess, worried about, in essence. Um, you know, what Cloud9 does, well, we've, we're really what's called a managed services provider. And what that is, is, um, you know, we, we, we are basically outsourced IT for, for uh, companies, and we, um, we act as their internal IT department, um, kind of managing their IT in a, in a fully comprehensive way. So security is always part of that because you know we are we are saying to a client, hey, we're coming in, we're going to manage your IT just as though you've you've hired somebody to do so. So um, security has always been at the forefront of that, and in the last you know last several years, it's become literally the, the thing we we talk about most. Um, so um, right. that's that's kind of what Cloud Nine does. Well, very good. Well, I know our law firm uses Cloud Nine, and uh, I know from mm -hmm. a user, I'm I'm not the uh, computer tech person at all. I just know that when it works, it's really useful to have a good computer system. And when it's down, uh, we sort of freeze up. I mean, I can't get anything done. So I call you guys and um, we get somebody on. You, you have access to our computers. And so far, 100 out of 100 times, you guys were able to correct my problem. If I tried it, it would take hours and I'd just screw it up. I know it. But uh, we're, we're definitely, you know who we are. You know who I am anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, every minute, you know, any any minute someone can't work, that's that's you know, money money down the tube, you know. So it's it's important. I mean, you know, businesses live or die by their computer systems. Today. It's probably the most valuable asset that a company, you know, utilizes. So. Well, 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 they do. I recall when we just started out uh, using computers many many years ago, uh, that uh, we were very leery about putting things on a computer, not putting them on a computer, but storing things on a computer. I remember we would have boxes of printouts. We would do a letter, we would print it out and throw it in the box <laughs> because <laughs> we didn't trust the computer to be able to save and recall that letter. So we had thousands and thousands of documents saved. Well, over the years, we as users have given up that uh, lifeline, that uh, crutch of having hard copy things printed. So now we're totally, totally dependent upon the integrity and the safety of the system. And and that's mm -hmm. why you mentioned just a few moments ago, we start out with the computer services, and that's taking care of the day-to-day -day glitches and burps that go on with the system. But we have entrusted everything. I mean, there are passwords, there are accounts, there are dollar references, there are, are confidential bits of information uh, mm -hmm. that we're worried about. Yet, we hear in the media that we're somewhat under attack all the time. Are these attacks real or are we overblowing these things that we have to be safe or can we just use these uh, internet uh, benefits just freely and be relaxed about it? Who's after us? Oh. Uh, if any, that's that's actually the truth. I mean, the, and that, that's from the everyday consumer, uh, you know, all the way up to, you know, Fortune 500 companies. Um, every person, every company is under attack at all times, uh, and it's actually probably, I would say it's even maybe underplayed uh, in the media to some degree. Um, it is, um, unfortunately, people are, you know, it, it's the users themselves or the people themselves that are always the, the way that the hacker gets in or that, the, you know, that you're under attack. I mean, that, that's what they're attacking. They're always attacking at that level, at this, uh, you know, social engineering level. And, 
you know, that's kind of where it starts. And their ultimate goal is to obviously get into your system and um, and get money at some point. Um, but how they do, there's a couple of different different scenarios and ways that they do that. Um, so we go into a little bit of that. I mean, just from you know, from a from a company standpoint, well, sure. um, you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, the number one way well, mm-hmm. that we uh, get into um, this type of um, these problems um, is is through uh, social engineering attacks. They almost always start with email, and that's uh, the number one attack vector. Something like I, think, I believe, and I'm just pulling this off the top of my head, it's eighty or ninety percent of all attack attacks happen first at the email level, and that's where they gain access. So, and that's from an individual user to uh, to you know to a company, how they're getting in is through email. Well, well let's talk about the email for a moment. Uh, what what happens, like we get hundreds of emails uh, a day. And yeah. we look at these emails, and uh, mostly 90% of the emails are delete, 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 delete. And we have no problem sure. doing that. Mm-hmm. If we get a, an email from Nigeria saying that they have $100 million mm-hmm. waiting for us, and that's an easy one to delete. But but if I would receive an email from you, I see your name, Trent Milliron. I'd recognize that mm-hmm. name and I'd stop and I'd look at it. And there's an attachment on it, but it's not from you. Is there any way, first off, yeah. I can judge from looking at that address coming in that it's not really Trent Milliron that's sending that at someone else? Uh, you can. Um, well, you know, there are certain um, specific uh, security systems that that we you know I know that Cloud Nine uses we overlay these on top of on top of email systems that catch what we call you know spoofing uh, you know emails that look like they come from me uh, but they necessarily wouldn't be um, that there are some it's for the average person just looking at it um, I would say it's, it would be difficult there's a couple things if there's a link inside if there's a link in the email directing you to some website. Um, you can usually hover over that. That's that's the number one way to tell. By the way, if it's a you know a phishing email or something like that that's trying to get information from you, um, you know, is the link in in the email itself will just point to some random site. You know, it may look like it's from uh, you know UPS or something like that, but it may if you right. if you hover over it, you'll see it will show the real link and where it's from. But um, but from a spoofing standpoint, it's a little bit. If it's just a standard email, it says, "Hey, it says, you know, uh, this is a com- this is a common scenario. Um, the you know, an email from the owner of the company will go to maybe their secretary, and the email will say, "Hey, uh, I need you to buy me some gift cards, and um, you know, send them to this person or address or whatever." And to the secretary, it looks like her boss just told her to do something. So she'll go out get gift cards, and then she'll actually literally send them off to. To whoever uh, whoever told her to do it or sent them to the address, um, mm-hmm. that is a very common scenario. Um, and really, uh, just from a brief look at it, without like an extra layer, of a security system will say, you know, like um, an email security system. Without that extra layer, for the average person, um, it's going to really look like it's coming from that person. Um, you know, it, it just will. I think the only way you could you'd be able to tell um, would be just the gram. You know how it's how it sounds. Does that sound like your boss? I mean, that, you know, spoofed emails often sound maybe a little off because it's usually somebody foreign who's, who wrote it. So um, sometimes that's even the language uh, doesn't, uh, it's not good grammar at all. In, in some of these things, can you, let me ask you a couple of questions with regard to mm-hmm. spoofing or the fact you're getting mm-hmm. these hostile emails. And 
And it looks like it's coming from someone you know. You get into trouble by responding to that email. Is that a, is that a problem? Yeah, yeah certainly. Yeah, I mean, that's so the, the, the dialogue is what's set Yeah, I mean, well, the dialogue, set, you know, sets it in your mind that maybe it's real, right? Um, you know, you get an odd, let's say you get an odd request or something from someone you think you, you know, someone you know, and then you start, you email back and you say, oh, or, you know, are you sure you need that much in gift cards? Like maybe it's a thousand bucks or something. And, you know, and they'll just reply back as though it's, you know, them. And then you start a dialogue and you start actually, that's kind of part of the social engineering. It makes you start believing it really is that person. Um, when you when you, know, you do that, does that let viruses into your computer by just responding to that email? Um, not no, not particularly. Um, it just it just opens it up to them gathering more information from you, right? So the more dialogue right, you right. have with them, the more realistic they can see. They even may gather other information, other members within the company, for instance, as well, so that they can then target. Maybe they didn't know that uh, you know. Joni does uh, accounting or payroll, but now they do because you you just told her through dialogue. Well, we're we're talking the person to with Trent the money. Miller. We're talking to yeah. Trent Miller, and he uh, with Cloud Nine IT. We're talking about computer security and vulnerabilities. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on the Advocate. Don't go away. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of the Advocate for tonight. Tonight, we're taking a look at security in our computer systems and how bad things can get. And uh, to talk to us about it is an expert in the field, Trent Milliron, who happens to be the owner of Cloud9 IT, uh, who is also not only one of our sponsors, but also they provide an IT service for our law firm. Uh, so again, Trent, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Well, thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, we're all of us laymen who utilize computer stuff are, are just terrified once we, we we click a button and download something that we shouldn't have clicked, and then our screen goes yeah. red and flashes mm -hmm. alert, alert. You know, you have to <laughs> you have to contact us and pay us money to unlock your computer. Uh, something <laughs> I think they call that that's malware kind of stuff. Tell us about yeah, that. I mean, how, I think how prevalent of a threat is that? Is that real? Yo, yeah, I mean, that's um, especially at the business level. Uh, you know, they call that really ransomware would be a better name for it. Um, there's malware, so there's, I mean, malware is a general term for just the whole gamut of of um, you know uh, of viruses and, and things that that hang around your computer, bad stuff, but. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so there's two. I mean, you could think of you could think of malware in two different ways. Uh, some of it would just sit there and gather information, install malware on your machine, and it's not properly protected. Um, you know, that malware typically will sit there. That, the first thing it does is sit there and, and establishes what's called a foothold, and um, and what it will do is it just gathers information, sees what you're typing, uh, sees your passwords, um, sends that off to you know, whoever often, you know, you know, wherever they're wherever they're doing it from, some foreign land. Um, and then what that does is that that gives them an opportunity later to come in and, and access other accounts that you're using. Um, so that's one way that malware kind of works. And, and in the business world, that's pretty common. So you got the foot, you know, someone gets a foothold on your computer, 
Um, they, they see what the person's typing. They're really looking for the people with the money. I mean, it's always about the money in the end. And um, and so they're either looking, so there's really two two goals with this stuff. They're either looking for information in a way to get um, to get somebody within a company to, to send that money to to them, either purposefully or not. Uh, the other way that they do it is there's something called ransomware, and ransomware is is where this malware doesn't just sit there and gather information. Instead, it actively uh, encrypts all of your data. So once it's on your system, it actively goes out, uh, takes takes your data and encrypts it. Basically, locks it away. Encryption basically means you know locking the data away in a, in a way that's unrecoverable. There's no way to get the data back unless you pay them a ransom. So once it's encrypted, they then send you an email or there'll be a message on your screen that says, hey, send this many Bitcoins to this address and um, and we'll release your data. And uh, that's kind of the, that's the new thing in businesses. Um, so, I mean, not new, it's been around for, for years, but that's, it's very prevalent. It, it is, it, it, there are billions and billions of dollars a year being, uh, you know, being spent on ransomware payments. Um, it is a full-blown industry. With, with ransomware getting on your computer, for whatever reason, somebody yep. downloads an attachment that they shouldn't have, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and their computer is seized up with uh, ransomware, can, can they mm -hmm. call a company like yours? Are you guys capable of uh, releasing that ransomware, or does it have to actually go to the, the person or the organization that put that ransomware on your computer? Can you work your way out so, of it by being computer geniuses, as you are? <laughs> Uh, you can uh, sometimes, in a very small small amount of cases, uh, if, if it's been a while. So ransomware, it gets updated and changed and modified the code things over time. And so if it's an older version of ransomware that got your system, sometimes the, we'll say the fixes or the the unencryption keys, they're sometimes out there. And somebody somebody's figured it out and someone and they post those. And and you can unencrypt the data using those. That that's pretty. It's getting less and less likely that that's a possibility anymore. So basically, if it does, so basically, you're, let's say you can't do that, which is which is the most likely thing, uh, that there's no you know there's no uh, keys to to unencrypt your files. So you either have to pay the ransom. So you have two options then. You either have to pay the ransom, in which case we would, and we have done this before, which we help negotiate that with the uh, with the criminals. Um, that's one way, and then, then we then once we get the data back, we restore their systems. Uh, that's the and long and painful <laughs> way. <laughs> that is the long and painful way. Well, when, when you negotiate with uh, the the criminals who are putting the ransomware on, on your clients' computers, uh, what what's the range of ransom that has to be paid, and, and how is it paid? You mentioned Bitcoin. Uh, mm -hmm. do, they, do they take credit cards, or how do you do this? <laughs> no, yeah, that's uh, you know. That, that's what we help facilitate because a lot of a lot of clients, um, I, you know, I will say these are potential clients. Because, you know, I will say and I'm going to knock on wood with this that Cloud Nine has actually never had a ransomware happen to any of our clients. Oh, good. Um, I'm, but I'm not going to say that it couldn't happen. That that's not, um, you know, that's that wouldn't be truthful. Um, it could, but we've just been we have always been pretty good about how we set people up. That it hasn't happened yet. But um, but anyways, going on um, the. So how you negotiate? So usually companies will come to us after this has already happened, right? And they're kind of in a pickle. Right. So then, they then they want to, you know, they actually actively engage us on how to how to resolve this for them. Um, we do, you know, you can't pay with credit cards. Every, you know, Bitcoin is completely anonymous, so that's the way they're going to get paid. And it's, it, um, you know, 
I have yet to negotiate one that was under $10,000. So they're, they're $10,000 or more. They're up to hundreds of thousands. So it just depends. So the, the criminals will, will look at your data and they're going to think, they're going to go to themselves. They're going to look at the size of your company. They're going to look at your data and they're going to say, well, how much do they think they could pay? And that's where they're going to come up with their number at. They're going to see the type of data they have. Like if it's very, like if it's like a medical company or something like that, well, it's a huge HIPAA violation, right? So um, right. Uh, that they even, so, so that they know that medical companies don't want to have anything public. So they will, you know, prices on those will be much higher. Um, so there's things like, now they're supposed to report that. So I'm not going to, I'm not speaking to any of that stuff, <laughs> but I'm just saying this is, this no, is the type no. of stuff that happens. They right. say, very, very few ransomware. Here's what's funny is they say that they say that a very small amount of ransomware cases actually get reported. You know, the companies want to keep it on the down low because it hurts their reputation with their clients. It hurts their, you know, it could be there could be legal ramifications for it as well if it's something like a medical institution. Right. Um, so they try to keep so, it on the so, down low. Um, so those groups anyways, that yeah. put out the ransomware, it's sort of a uh, quite quite the industry right now. It's very profitable. But uh, on the last uh, I mean, couple minutes we have, let, let's talk yeah. about a couple of things that are sort of like do's and don'ts, and you can confirm or, or mm -hmm. point me in the error of my ways here. Yeah. Uh, first, first off, never ever ever download any attachment that you don't know about or expect. Is that right? That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. I'll be very careful about emails coming into you from people you don't know. One one thing I noticed. Let me know if this is valid or not. If I would, if I were to receive an email from you and it was somebody spoofing me, I'd see your name printed mm -hmm. out. But just to the right of that, in parentheses, I'd see an email address I don't recognize. That would mm -hmm. 99, 100% tell me it's not you. That's I get rid of that. Yeah, that's 100%. That, those, that's a bad spoof. That's a that's somebody who really didn't do a good job. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, we, again, as we're spinning through these things, we might look at an email like that for less than two seconds and then we're going to decide mm -hmm. to leave and one of the oh, other yeah. things when you're going when you're going through your emails you mentioned hovering over something i yeah. i would not recommend i'm thinking myself because if i have a mouse or a touchpad and i'm moving my cursor around i wouldn't want to hover over something and then just reflective reflexively tap something that would mm -hmm. cause the download to occur or the linking with a an unsavory website so um, yeah, try to be very, very careful. Uh, other thing about yeah, you don't passwords, want to click. Well, even inadvertently. Yeah. And then, then finally, passwords. Yeah. You know, passwords. We have uh, so many accounts, so many usernames, so mm -hmm. many passwords. Uh, we have about a minute. <laughs> is there, is well, there passwords. Some... I mean, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. You, know, you know, if there's one thing that's going to keep almost every breach or you know uh, hacker away, uh, well, there's two things I would suggest. And that will it will literally resolve you know ninety percent of the chances of you getting a breach, which are two things: complex passwords. You use something, um, use something that's that's long, maybe a phrase, something that's not easy to guess, uh, you know. And the second thing would be if if, if that service or product has what's called two-factor authentication, you should activate that and use it. Now, two-factor authentication is when you when you use a, you get a code on your phone, um, and it that's a second author author. So when you type, you type your username and password in, and then next to ask you for an MFA code, multi-factor authentication. And then that oh, Trent, code... Trent, we're out of time. Yeah, so. We're going to have to have you on again. Probably after the holidays. Let's yeah. try again to educate us on this yeah. stuff. Let's hope we're not damaged during the holidays here. 
But anyway, Trent uh, Milliron, thank you so much for joining us with uh, Cloud9 IT and this good, good information. Thank you. Thanks. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next uh, next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do until morning